This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. And see if you guys can figure it out. So you have 60 minutes starting now. I'm not, I'm not sure we can figure it out in an hour because it's, it's, we're three weeks into it, but we'll try. All right. Thanks, bud. We'll catch you tomorrow. <laughs> Great show. All right. And hello and welcome to The Hill. As we just mentioned, it's day 21 and it looks a lot like day one. Republicans in the House still leaderless, and we have just learned within the past hour here that their most recent plan failed. We'll take you to the halls of the Capitol with what comes next. Plus, we are live along the southern border, live in Israel as well. Customs and Border Patrol warning that Hamas terrorists could potentially enter through the southern border, as the Pentagon is now calling out Iran. What we are seeing is the prospect for more significant escalation against U.S. forces and personnel across the region uh, in the very near term, coming from Iranian proxy forces and ultimately from Iran. We will never hesitate to take action when needed to protect our forces and our interests overseas. And will he run for president? There are Republicans who are hoping Virginia's governor's uh, Virginia's governor, Glenn Youngkin, will do just that. The governor will join the show. And we'll ask him about it coming up. The Hill on News Nation starts right now. Izzy, once again, thanks for being with us here on The Hill. I'm Blake Berman, joined today by Ashley Davis a former uh, Bush administration official, George W. Bush. Scott Bolden is a former D.C. Democratic Party chairman and a legal analyst as well. Nan Hayworth, of course, the former Republican congresswoman from the state of New York. And Dan Cannonan, a Democratic strategist and a former Obama campaign official. Hello to you all. Mick Mulvaney, by the way, will be joining us shortly. We will get to him soon once Mick pops up. But we begin to... Oh, there he is. Hello, Mick. They were telling me we didn't have you. Uh, but we'll get to Mick there momentarily. Hi, Mick. Stand by. Uh, we begin today with Plan D. And if you had to give it a grade, it looks like it might be getting an F. Here's how the Georgia Republican Mike Collins jokingly started his day. Then put your little hand in mine. There ain't no hill or mountain we can't We are, of course, talking about the battle over who will become the Speaker of the House. Tom Emmer, who is the Republicans' a vote counter in the House, was chosen by his colleagues earlier today as the next one up. But after at least two dozen on his side of the aisle say they would not support him, he dropped out of the race. So now it appears no Kevin McCarthy, no Steve Scalise, no Jim Jordan, no uh, Emmer. Hello, Plan E. Nan, former <laughs> congresswoman from the state of New York. Mick Mulvaney, I think you're out there. Former Congressman, Republican. Mick and I were freshmen. From the st- freshmen together. Mick from South Carolina. Yeah. Um, what happens, guys? Uh, the, the big challenge is this. Uh, Republicans in the House are more ideological than they are strategic. 
And that is very clear from this vote. Uh, and that is not for lack of uh, members who can obviously uh, be highly strategic, including uh, notably, oh, Kevin McCarthy, who was the speaker and perhaps will be again. Wouldn't surprise me if they if someone returns to Kevin uh, because maybe everybody will have had their fill. But um, I'm not confident that this will uh, be resolved until mid-November when they have to uh, get the government going Mick, again. Mick, you took the, um, we, we, we joked about at the, in his heyday, Tiger Woods versus the field when he used to play in majors, <laughs> which is someone takes Tiger and someone takes the other 140-something. And you took the field and not the nine who were up uh, before, their Republic, before their Republican counterparts saying, I, I should be the next speaker. Where do you stand today? You know, have, having been wrong so often, it is really nice to be right every once in a while. I feel bad for Tom Emmerich because he's a good friend, and I think he would have been a good speaker. But you could see this coming from a mile away. Don't worry, Blake. I, I, have, no, I have no concern about this. I know that Matt Gates has done all of this per plan. He's got something hatched up. He knew exactly what was going to happen, and everything is going to be fine. Um, and I hate to make light of it, but this is, we knew exactly, and I like that introduction from, um, from uh, Groundhog Day, because that's exactly where this is. I think Nan <laughs> might be right. I think we might have to go through some more wailing and gnashing of teeth. But what has Kevin McCarthy proven? That he is the only mm. person in that building that can get 218 right. Republican votes. Is that where this is going, Ashley? Well, I, I think we still have McHenry to, to talk about as well. Patrick I mean, McHenry, who's Patrick, the temporary. Yes, yeah, sorry. No worries. I mean, I think that if the Senate truly passes the supplemental next week, and then you're going to have that bill on the House floor, and they're going to have to do something, maybe that will push it enough that McHenry at least gets more power for um, an amount of time. Mm-hmm. Not permanent, but maybe through the end of the year, which was what uh, Congressman Kelly and others were going to propose. And maybe Democrats have to bring him across the finish line. Line. You guys enjoying watching this? Yeah, you well, should. Yeah. Well, yeah. Actually, uh, you're not. You were I, saying- I'm not enjoying it. I, I think it's bad for the country. I mean, the Democrats are out there. Hakeem Jeffries is out there. I was thinking as, as I was watching the news on Emmer, well, it takes a lot less Republicans to build a coalition with the Democrats to move the country forward, at least in the House, than it does. Because what the Republicans are doing is they keep picking a different speaker, but they're doing the same thing over and over again, and that's idiocy, right? Something's got to change in the dynamic of that 8 to 12 hardliners mm-hmm. before they can pick, pick a speaker and make it a Republican speaker. And they haven't figured out that formula because those 8 to 12 simply aren't compromising. But also the configuration keeps changing. I mean, yeah, right? The, the original, the original awful eight are not the same people who didn't vote today. Can I make an observation as a Democrat here? I, I looked at that first vote count for Ammer, and it was like the first one. It was like, you know, 60 ballots for him, 34 for the next, mm-hmm. seven, three, two, one. It looks a lot like that second place race for the GOP presidential nomination. Mm-hmm. And it, mm-hmm. look, it's not just the House caucus. There's a party with Trump overshadowing everything. And then beyond that, there is a vast nothingness. Uh, so b- before we go uh, to Rich McCormick, Mick, uh, Nan, real quick. Do yeah. you think Kevin McCarthy's a real option? I do. You do. Mick, yeah. do you think Kevin McCarthy's a real option? I do. In fact, I think it's a stronger option than McHenry because McHenry doesn't oh. want the job, and that role is untested. All right. So joining us now is the Republican congressman from Georgia, Rich McCormick. Uh, congressman, come on in. Thank you for your time. Appreciate you being here on the Hill. You see two of your, of your uh, former Republicans say, you know what? Kevin McCarthy time again. Here we go. What say you? Well, we, we have a lot of discussion to do before we get to that point. Uh, right now, people are trying to push uh, Mike Johnson to, to get an up or down vote because 
He's widely accepted as somebody who doesn't have a whole lot of enemies, and that's what this is boiling down to is who can we get consensus on? Not who necessarily is even the strongest or has the most experience, but who has the least number of people who actually vote against them. Uh, that's what this boiled down to. But every single time I try to predict this, I've been wrong, but nobody else has been right either. So uh, <laughs> we are literally debating this right now behind closed doors. There's a lot of different opinions. Uh, I don't think this is a speaker problem so much as this is a conference problem right now. We got to come to a consensus and quick. I think we're wasting, what, $76,000 per second right now. That adds up really quick. Well, we're not doing Is the majority job. at stake here, Congressman? As well, you, you can make a case for that, but but we, we had a problem with uh, electing a speaker to begin with. We had 15 votes, and once we got McCarthy in place, I thought we were doing a great job. I was actually pretty excited because we were on pace to finish a lot of legislation that we hadn't done in a long time. We were going through the uh, appropriations process. We were passing some conservative stuff that we hadn't done in a couple decades. Uh, we did that with a very narrow majority that we couldn't do with 20 vote majority. So I thought that was a good pace. We're just a little off track. Hopefully we get back on track. We get the job done, but we got to do it quick because I think the Senate is coming quick with a, an, an omnibus, and we do not want to get jammed with that. Um, you know, I was was going through your your bio. It is very distinguished, uh, Congressman. Member of Congress, got your MBA. You were a Marine pilot. You were an emergency room doctor as well. And now you're dealing with this. And I wonder, as you come here to Washington, if there's sort of any regrets that you left all of that behind to deal with something like this. You know. I think all of us have had those thoughts in the last week. It can get uh, downright depressing if you start focusing on that. But we have a job to do. I came here as a promise to the people who voted for me. Uh, I set aside a good income and lots of vacation to do this. And I think it's important. We are taking part in history. Maybe not the history that I wanted, but eventually we'll get to the other side of this. And I think we have been on the right side when it comes to the border, uh, crime, debt, education, all the things that unite us, that divide the Democrats. We get back to those things. We can win all the states. We can win by double digits. If we focus on the things that unite us and divide the Democrats, the people are behind us. The people need us. And this is just you're, the you're, beginning. But, but I don't want to look at it in the evil light because that's not going to help me get my job done. You're, you're a yes on Mike Johnson if he's next? <laughs> I don't want to disparage Mike Johnson, absolutely Mike Johnson, or, or a box of donuts. I'm just trying to get somebody in place so I can do my job. I think most of us feel that way right now, and I, I'm really anxious to get I mean, on any, with it. Any, uh, any I mean, any Republican or a box of donuts? I mean, that, that analogy, sir, like I, I, I know we laugh about it, but, I mean, man, that, that, that feels pretty dire. Well, I, I just want to get going. I'm a Marine first. That's how I always think. Even when I was an ER doc, at least I could do something. I always felt like there was a, a sense of accomplishment every single day. I, I could get something done, uh, and that's what I want to get back to. That's what I've bought into. Uh, that's what the people want. Uh, we are representatives of the people. We just need to get a consensus. I'm, I'm hoping, I'm very hopeful. Uh, I'm an optimistic that we get it done this week. Congressman McCormick, uh, very revealing. Appreciate the time. We hope you come on back. Thanks. Appreciate you. Semperfy. Yep. All right. Well, now turning to the uh, speaking of potential threats facing our country at the southern border and in the Middle East, two different but but stories that that 
kind of relate to each other at this hour. Uh, News Nation correspondent Ali Bradley is in Arizona. News Nation national correspondent Robert Sherman is in Tel Aviv. We'll, we'll bring Ash. Uh, We'll bring Ali in shortly on, on what's going on at the border right now and how this all turns back to the Middle East. But, but Robert, what are you seeing right now uh, in Tel Aviv as you join us from there once again? Hey there, Blake. And we all were lulled into a bit of a sense of comfort over the last couple of days with really not a lot of activity up here in Tel Aviv. That changed dramatically this afternoon as we saw a barrage of missiles fired at central Israel. Not just a barrage, mind you, but it was the single largest rocket attack on central Israel since that October 7th attack by Hamas. We saw over a half a dozen rockets being intercepted by the Iron Dome over us. So it was a real change of pace that we've had here today. And that underscores the tensions that we're seeing, not just on the ground here in Israel, but around the region as well. Those concerns continue to grow day by day as world leaders watch what happens here. And the big fear is, is that other actors around the region will get involved. We've seen countless world leaders coming out to Israel. President Biden, Prime Minister Sunak of uh, the United Kingdom. Today it was French President Emmanuel Macron who met with Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. And his comments were really twofold. On the one hand, there's an emphasis on making clear to Hamas that those hostages must be released. Still at this hour, there's over 200 being held inside the Gaza Strip. On the other hand, there was this aspect as well of warning Iran, Hezbollah, other actors in the region to not get involved. See the diplomacy in full, in full display here as people try and cool the tensions on the ground here. That's what we'll be monitoring closely in the coming days as the heat continues to rise in the Middle East. Blake? All right, Robert Sherman, live for us in Israel once again. Robert, thank you. And then I mentioned Ali, uh, because there is a new threat along the southern border. An internal memo obtained by News Nation shows that Customs and Border Protection is on high alert for anyone who could have ties to Hamas. Tempe, Arizona is where Ali Bradley is uh, and has the very latest on this. Ali, we just saw that alert there on the screen. What are your sources telling you? Yeah, right now, Blake, my sources are actually saying this should have gone out long ago. Obviously, Customs and Border Protection concerned enough that they wanted to put this memo out now. And of course, it was on the 20th, nearly two weeks after this war started, where they're saying, hey, we might be seeing some people coming over that have ties to this. So here's what we know when we look at this memo here. I mean, look at the headline. The headline alone is pretty shocking there, where you see foreign fighters of Israel-Hamas conflict may potentially be encountered at Southwest border, something that agents say, yeah, we should have been mindful of for the last two and a half years, even because we don't want those individuals in the country. Now, this alert sent out by the San Diego Field Office Intelligence Division, this was not by Border Patrol. This highlights three groups. We're talking about Hamas, Palestinian Islamic Jihad and Hezbollah. And it shows the patches that they could be wearing. It shows very distinct patches there. And the memo features suggested questions that they could also act ask and also directs agents to look for certain things like military age men who might be wearing camouflage and carrying military weapons as well. Now they also say to look for things that could be associations with Israel, the Palestinian territories or any regional affiliations. That is what this alert is directing these agents and officers to do. Now when we look at how many people have entered this month alone from some of those countries, the neighboring countries here that could have some kind of influence to this conflict in Israel. Right now, the numbers coming out of 
Iranian uh, ally, Syria. We know that Syria and Iran right now are working pretty uh, close together. They're staggering, Blake. We're talking about 94 people from Syria entered through the southern border in October. We still have a full week to go. This is a 74% increase when we compare it to what we saw in September. So we're seeing a big jump there. Now, what sources are saying, what experts are saying, what law enforcement are saying is it only takes one individual that has bad intentions to get through. And the sources that I talked to say that this memo had some legs behind it, Blake. It's not random. This memo either came because someone was arrested or they have intel that people are on the way. Take a listen. So what you're seeing is you're seeing a collection of data brought in and said through interviews and intelligence that, hey, they're coming. There's no one on the border now. So when when Mayorkas pushes out a data brief like this, a warning, I think everybody needs to, to understand the behind the scenes of what's happening. Okay, now, Blake, they are not, CBP says they will not comment on so-called leaked information, so we did not get a direct Hmm. statement from CBP on that one. All right, Allie Bradley, live for us once again on the southern border. Allie, thank you. Uh, Mick Mulvaney, former White House chief of staff, when you hear this, you think what? Um, I think the White House probably had this information for several weeks, and I'm thinking back to a conversation we had on the show two or three weeks ago when the Biden administration announced they were going to uh, recommence building the wall on the southern border. My guess is those two things had something to do with each other. This is gravely serious, Blake, for that type of notice to go out. Um, I, I hate to draw the politics of it, but it's what we do on this show, right? If there is a, a terrorist attack in the mainland United States from somebody who crosses this border, this election is over. Uh, Joe Biden is finished. The Democrats are finished. This is a politically serious thing in addition to being a, a serious security matter. Uh, I've never seen a, a notice like this. I'm sure they have, have had some in the past, but this is a big deal. And my guess is the uh, White House has known about it for several weeks. Can I go? All yours. <laughs> well, I was in the White House on 9-11 and employee number one at the White House Office of Homeland Security after 9-11. Hmm. This is the biggest issue facing our country. and The biggest? I think so. I think that all these people, as that said on the headline, may be coming in, they're already in. And they've been coming in ever since this administration opened up the borders. And... After 9-11, this is exactly how people came into our country then, and it's exactly how people are coming into our country now. And I think it's a very big concern. Well, but 9-11, they, you, had, you had a handful of people that were trained to fly planes, not fly them, just direct them, if you will. And I, I get real concerned, as a, as a U.S. citizen, that we look at this list and we say, okay, you got over 100 people from Syria, Iran, Egypt, in total, Yemen, Iraq, and we almost are presuming that these are terrorists simply because those numbers. We shouldn't jump to those types of conclusions just because they came over the southern border. And we haven't had a terrorist attack. Uh, so let's be careful when we start saying just because you're from Syria and you came across the southern border that somehow that's a threat to America. It is not but, in and of itself a, a threat to the issue is they're, they're coming over illegally. Well, exactly. Over no, illegally. we... we, we 
don't know that. But, I mean, but if Scott, they were they over, they're coming it, across the southern border illegally. But Scott, well, that doesn't mean they're coming across illegally. No, at it, all. It doesn't they're mean that. It doesn't mean that. They catch and release. It doesn't mean that. But you know, looks like a duck, walks like a duck, quacks like a duck. Just because they're from these Middle East countries, you have to in this dangerous. In this, in this, okay. Number one, they're breaking our laws, as Ashley just said. Number two, we know that Iran views the United States as the great Satan. You we know that. Say because and people you are, are coming correct. from these countries that they are on, terrorists. Hold on. Hold on. You, 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 are, you are correct that, okay. that they may have completely benign intentions, but we have got to be vigilant. We can't. They, no, nobody is saying uh, shoot these people on sight or apprehend these people. We know people who they are because this is a government statistic. But so what, we, they're we saying know who is, they are. what they're saying is that they do, anybody crossing our border should be scrutinized anyway. But from these countries, they're actively harboring Hamas, Hezbollah. Uh, you know, you've no got to be. To and and, and the, the Quds forces and others, you no, you've got that. to be vigilant. Just, yeah, just say really quickly. So this crisis of the border is a humanitarian crisis and a security crisis. There are people fleeing despots and drug cartels, and we do not have the judges, lawyers, or staff, or security to process the border. If you want to get serious point. about this, we should. It should not be a political point for any party. Let's deal with it in all facets. All right. Or policy. Yes. Coming up, Washington, D.C., speaking of policy, (laughs) uh, and 41 states are suing Meta. They accuse the tech giant, which owns Facebook and Instagram, as you know, of harming children and their mental health. The lawsuit, what they're asking for, and is every company named here? Plus, there is beltway chatter around the Virginia governor, Glenn Youngkin, Will he jump into the presidential race? You know what? We're going to ask him because he's joining the show in about 20 minutes. The Hill on News Nation, back in a few. All right, welcome back to The Hill. Right now, Mark Zuckerberg's Meta is facing some potential legal troubles across the country. The company being sued now by 41 states plus the District of Columbia. It's being accused of harming children by building addictive features into Instagram and Facebook. Now, this is just the latest challenge to social media over its alleged impact on children's health. Um, Here is what the lawsuit says. It says, quote, Meta has profoundly altered the psychological and social realities of a generation of young Americans. Meta has harnessed powerful and unprecedented technologies to entice, engage, and ultimately ensnare youth and teens its motive is profit. Scott, on the legal side, talk to us. What's powerful about these lawsuits is the attorney generals have gotten together, uh, Republicans and Democrats, one. But two, each of them have consumer safety provisions, local uh, statutes that they are suing under. They don't have to be a federal statute or, or a state statute, but these consumer regulatory affairs. In D.C., they have a very strong unit that just goes after companies who have violated their trust in consumer affairs and, and harmed consumers. That's the power of the lawsuit. Now, the defense here is that uh, this is a choice made by families and, right. and kids, and if they don't like it and if they're at a being certain point, to it, at a certain point, point there's parents, it. right? And the parents right, can exactly. take away the home, limit the screen, exactly. home, limit so the screen. So look for those defense arguments, right. but the local consumer uh, regulatory scheme is what's going to be powerful for in each of these states. You know what I thought when I saw this headline? I said, okay, Facebook, check. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Instagram, check. Mm-hmm. I- I'm missing the action against TikTok in this yeah. town. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I th- there was a pretty Nobody big hearing earlier this year, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I heard all sorts of stuff from members of Congress. Watch. 
TikTok is the spy in Americans' pockets. Within minutes of creating an account, your algorithm can promote suicide, self-harm, and eating disorders. Your technology is literally leading to death. 20% of TikTok search results on prominent news topics contain misinformation. By the way, I'm not trying to minimize Facebook or Facebook, Instagram and all that. But but Mick, um, you know, I, I watched this hearing with all these lawmakers go after TikTok. We all watched it before the cameras and there's been no action. I see these lawsuits against against Meta. Is, is there ever going to be anything against TikTok or is the reality that it's too it's in too many pockets and nothing's going to get done with an election around the corner? Um, no, I think we'd, I think would you wait and see what happens at the state level if they're successful, um, you might see action against TikTok. But Blake, I think there's a bigger issue here, which is they're they're trying to fix a problem. The government's trying to fix a problem it created. Now it's not the state governments, and those mm-hmm. are the folks suing here. But it was Section 230 back in the original sort of uh, in, right. in, the, in the legislation that allowed the internet to grow up that essentially isolated and insulated these these companies against. Defamation charges. If I say something false about Scott right now on television, if I if I defame him, um, he can sue me, and he can also sue News Nation. If I go on Facebook tonight and say the exact same thing about Scott, he can sue me, but he can't sue Facebook. That's the Section 230 protections that we gave to the internet companies a generation ago. They could that could be fixed by Congress relatively simply. It looks to me like they're trying to uh, to to create two wrongs to make a right. I'm not sure that's the best way to proceed. 230 is the regulatory debate, and that's a, that's a really good debate. It's got, it's got moneyed interest on all sides crashing in this town. Mm-hmm. But this point about kids, Blake, I will say about TikTok or Facebook or Instagram, we are all addicted. Hmm. And, and the kids are also addicted. The parents are addicted. The problem is the kids have developing minds that are developing in, mm-hmm. in very dangerous ways because of this technology. I don't know what we do about it, but I do think this is a massive problem. It would be great to get a Speaker of the House and have some bipartisan work on this anytime <laughs> soon. Oh, you're right. Well said. We need well regulation. Said. We, we do we need regulation. And, they, and they've been talking about child privacy laws, the Congress has, for right. years if not and months. Yeah. But Honestly, though, the best thing, and, and all, all the, I, I, I'm with you, Dan, on the fundamentals of the problem. There. And yes, we could do probably more on the legislative side, but really the solution is for kids to have simple flip phones. <laughs> no, seriously. Flip phones? With call and sure. text. Honestly. Okay. And, but, but I have a 14-year-old. That's never happened. Well, <laughs> but, you know, but, I, but that would, if, if we can, you know, if we could resolve to do that Bad and idea. keep kids on, you know, yeah. get them away from this, because right. it is very dangerous. Also, this right. is a really good and political addictive. thing Inherently. to do. What? Sign off Just to this. Just go after, yeah, yes. go after As Facebook. A, and, and yeah. All right. Well, coming up. They appear headed for a rematch in 2024, but the majority of the public isn't sold, as you know, on either Donald Trump or or President Biden. We looked into the numbers and something could happen in this presidential election that we haven't seen in more than a century. Could the 2024 winner have something in common with Honest Abe? And coming up tonight on Elizabeth Vargas Reports, Elizabeth will be joined by Natalie Holloway's brother in his first TV interview since the verdict. Last week, Joran Vandersloot confessed to killing the Alabama teen in 2005. He'll discuss getting closure after nearly two decades. You can catch that at 6 o'clock Eastern right here on News Nation. See you on the other side of the break. All right, welcome back. And a bit of breaking news now as there are reports that Donald Trump's former uh, chief of staff, the last one, Mark Meadows, was granted immunity to speak with the special counsel Jack Smith, who is investigating Trump 
this is according to ABC News. Now, according to ABC sources, uh, Meadows informed Smith's team that he rep- uh, repeatedly told Trump that the allegations of significant voting fraud were baseless. Uh, again, this uh, breaking uh, the reporting now from ABC News. I said he was the last chief of staff uh, because one of the ones before him was, was Mick Mulvaney. Mick, um, as you see this headline and hear of it, what do you make of it? Uh, stunning. Uh, and I'd be curious after this is uh, finished to get Scott's take on this, because my understanding of the way this works is that Meadows would have had to proffer some evidence to essentially tell them, uh, tell the prosecutors what he was going to say uh, as part of an immunity deal. But you and I talked about this, Blake, just yesterday when uh, Sidney Powell um, decided that she was going to plead guilty in Georgia. Cheeseboro uh, pled guilty. I think Jenna Ellis did as well. That folks are going to start to turn on the president when they're facing real jail time. And it looks like Mark Meadows um, has, has done exactly that. This is a, a big deal. Again, I still think some of the charges against Trump are questionable. We can talk about the merits of those, but in terms of the process, this is a big, big deal because no one is closer to the President of the United States than the Chief of Staff. Yeah. And that was so that was my, Mr. Meadows was there. Yeah, so that's what I want you to peel back for us for a second. You were the White House Chief of Staff. You just said no yeah. one is closer to the President. I think the, the audience might say, well, what about the Vice President, Mick? But at the end of the day, you're, you're alongside the President of the United States, if not all, most of the day? Uh, certainly in, in critical times most of the day. And there's, a, there's another aspect to it, Blake, as well, is that you're also meeting with all of the people that he meets with. You would meet with them before to talk to them about what they're going to tell him. You'd meet with them, the president, when those folks are in there, and then you would debrief on the way out. So it's not just you're in the meeting with the president. You are the filter for all of the information and all of the people that's getting to the president. So the amount of information that Mark Meadows could have about this, about potential conversations with other co-defendants, with conversations possibly with Proud Boys or other folks that have pled guilty, he would know mm-hmm. almost all of that. All right. Okay. All right. On to the race, um, because there's some new polling out. It basically shows a 37-37 split if you, again, assume that it's going to be Donald Trump versus Joe Biden, but also add in RFK Jr. and Cornell West. Here's what we found interesting about it. If you look at uh, presidential winners with the lowest popular vote, you see the 37-37 there in this latest poll. You got to go back to Abraham Lincoln, the only one to be sub 40 percent. Is that where we're is that where we're headed here? I mean, we know the Electoral College, of course, is, is the only thing that matters. But mm. is that where we're headed, Dan? I, I don't think it's going to be quite that bad for, for the, the winner here. I think Biden will end up being the winner. I, that's my prediction, obviously. But I think more like, you know, 48, 49, even 50, maybe. Um, I think that RFK... No, it's not going to be that high. Well, I think RFK Jr. is going to come down quite a bit when this race actually gets going. What's going to come down? RFK Jr. is going to come down oh, quite yeah. a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But, I, I want to know how they polled people <laughs> during that. the... Well, no, no, no. This was, this was, the, this was the, the popular vote. Uh, oh. I mean, yeah. Tell me how they I, counted yeah. that. I do think this is, this is what I was told, and I also believe it's the first Abraham Lincoln uh, graphic. <laughs> here. Um... But I mean, you know, when you look. Who was his consultant? Who was his consultant? That's what you want to know? He was a Republican I could vote for. (laughs) Nick, come back on in because I saw this headline today from a a group called Third Way on this idea of uh, no labels that might, um, you know, field another candidate and sort of mix things up. And this was the headline The No Labels Party Radical New Plan to Force a Contingent Election. I, I know you. You, you speak to these folks. What are you hearing, and 
Yeah. And when you see that headline, do you, do you shoot it down? Not, yeah, I do. It's just another typical part of the Democrat sort of talking points. The third way is a Democrat group, and they don't want a third party because they think it will hurt right. Biden more than Trump. I can assure you Republicans are worried that no labels is going to hurt Trump as well. I know the no labels people. I've worked them a good bit. I got news for you, Blake. They'd rather stab themselves in the eye with a fork than see Donald Trump be president again. So <laughs> yes, their, exactly. their data would, would seem to indicate that they're pulling evenly from both sides. Uh, Mark Penn is really good at the data, and I, I think that's probably right. That, he, that RFK Jr., that a no-labels candidate pulls evenly from both sides. In fact, the poll you saw, if we pulled it heads up, uh, Trump versus Biden, it might be, you know, 45-45. You add the third parties, it's 37-37. It's going to be a tight race regardless. I'm just struck by the fact that uh, President Lincoln was elected uh, right uh, on the cusp of a civil war. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, that, <laughs> that fact, Was it on sadly, the ballot, man? Uh, Resonates yeah. with me. Wasn't, yeah, wasn't on the ballot in a bunch of southern states, and it's looking like there's efforts to keep Donald Trump off the ballots as well in some of the western yeah. states. Yeah, Colorado, yeah. Yeah. And some yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, but even I think Clinton, they'll fail. But yeah. even Clinton got 43 percent of the vote, and that was the last kind of serious three-party well, race Perot. we had. Yeah. 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 yeah, 19. I mean, I, I, mm-hmm. you're, you're right. Like 50 is probably out of reach. But I mean, the yeah. point yeah, is, the, the, I think people are going to come back to the to the norms after all this after all this discussion. The choice can be Trump and Biden. They're going to go to their camps. Democrats have won seven of the eight last popular votes. They'll win again. And it'll be something like 46, 45, 47, 46, but it's not going to be right. 37. And, and what matters, of course, I think it's going to be interesting to see how many of the Republican candidates that um, are in the race right now that go to no labels potentially to run. Hmm. Interesting. All right. And what Nick. matters is the Electoral College. Yeah. At the or end of the is day, Trump in? Trump may still not be on the ballot. Uh, well, well, he will we'll be. Hey, okay. Be. All right. Yeah. All right. Uh, Mick Mulvaney, thank you, sir. And, and Breaking news, uh, I, I think with your successor, right? Was Mark Meadows after you? Was he the one after you? Or was there another one? He, he was last. Yeah. Yeah, he was. All right. Mick, uh, we'll see you again soon. Thank you. Thanks, Mike. Yep, of course. All right, coming up. There is a major election in Virginia two weeks from today. The governor of that state, Glenn Youngkin, pouring in time and effort into turning Virginia red. And if he succeeds, could that be a springboard to something much, much bigger? Coming up, we are live with the governor, Glenn Youngkin, when The Hill on News Nation returns. Welcome back here to The Hill on News Nation. Two weeks from today is Election Day in the state of Virginia. Voters will determine the political landscape of that state and potentially the future of its governor, Glenn Youngkin, a rising star within the Republican Party. Now, last week, the governor held a retreat with some of his longtime supporters. And there are calls for Governor Youngkin to run for president. Now, Youngkin, though, is putting a lot of his time and his effort into convincing Virginia voters to give Republicans full control of the state legislature. Right now in Virginia, the governor and the state house are Republican. The Senate is run by Democrats. Joining us now is the Virginia, as the governor from the state of Virginia, rather, uh, Glenn Youngkin. Mr. Governor, thank you for being here on the Hill on News Nation. First time here, uh, so appreciate it. Um, you know, let, let's start with your state uh, and that race there, of course. You know that you flipped the governor's mansion from blue to red uh, in, in your election. When you look at the congressional district right now, it's essentially evenly split. I think it's fair to say Virginia is sort of a bellwether for the rest of the country. Is, is this race, Governor, in two weeks a, a litmus test, as you see it, for the Republican Party? Well, Blake, first of all, thank you for having me. And it's great to be with you. 
and yes, this is a really important race, not just for Virginia, but I think uh, to demonstrate to the nation that a state that was completely controlled by Democrats just 24 months ago can, in fact, fully change direction. And in 2021, uh, much to the surprise, I think, of many of the pundits, uh, we swept the state races with our great lieutenant governor, Winsome Sears, and our great attorney general, Jason Miares, uh, and we flipped our house, and the Senate wasn't up, and now we've got our entire legislature, 140 seats, 100 House members, 40 senators, all up, and it's a great chance for us to put our record uh, to the voters. I think we've Is had a, a, test just a for you? super t- 24 months. Well, I think it's a litmus test on our record, and I do believe that, uh, by definition, uh, the results that we've generated are on the ballot. And, and so I am happy to have that moment because I think we've done a great job. We've had 230,000 new jobs generated. In fact, we've gone from near the bottom of job growth to number three in the nation over that time period in job growth. Uh, we have the most Virginians ever working, ever in the history of the state. Uh, we've just finished passing our second budget with another billion dollars of tax relief. That brings us to $5 billion of tax relief. And Virginians are really, really appreciating the fact that our tax checks are starting to go out this week uh, with $200 and $400 for, the, for Virginians who filed individually or filed jointly. But on top of that, we've made huge strides in education, huge strides right. in law enforcement, and huge strides in addressing the behavioral health challenge. And so it's a record that I'm happy to put to the voters, and I'm just right. asking them, give me a team that can work with me, not against me, and we'll get even more done. Right. Um, you are embracing early voting which is something, as you know, Governor, traditionally the the Republican Party has not done. They've they've sort of waited for the push on actual Election Day. Uh, The former president, Donald Trump, said the following uh, yesterday, and I want to get your reaction on the other side. So we have to be careful. You got to get out there and you got to watch those voters. You don't have to vote. Don't worry about voting. The voting, we got plenty of votes. You got to watch election night. Is that a mistake? Well, I've just felt that given the fact that the rules are the rules, and they're the ones that I inherited, and we have 45 days to vote in Virginia, I'm going to get everybody out to vote. And that, therefore, we've really pushed hard for people to go to secureyourvotevirginia.com, make a plan to vote early. Listen, there were 500,000 people that voted for me in 2021 that didn't turn around and vote in the congressional midterms in 2022. 500,000. So I don't want to leave a single vote on the sidelines. Something could happen on Election Day. So I've been encouraging everybody, get out and vote. I think it's a key, key component to us winning. Listen, these are tight races. Every single vote matters. And it's the people that show up and vote that are going to decide the election. I want to get them all voting. This is uh, clearly, Governor, an election that is very important to you. You've been out doing some media rounds. You're, you're here talking to us. Uh, a lot of time, a lot of effort. If, if you get your way, Republicans would control the House, Republicans would control the Senate, and of course you're in the governor's mansion. Would you make the commitment that you will stay as the governor in the state of Virginia for the entirety of your first term through January of 2026? Listen, I fully expect to, to be doing the job as governor of Virginia. I've been focused on it. It's part of, I think, the, the reason why you know, I've been in Rockingham County and, and, and not at the Iowa City County or Iowa State Fair. I've been at the Rockingham County Fair. Um, I've said many times that I never got a promotion in life without doing a great job in the one that I'm in. Uh, I think we're doing a good job, and that's why we're working so hard to hold our house and flip our Senate. 
And that is at fully the core fully of, of what is that a I think voters, yes, though, or, voters or are excited ready to, to see. Go there? Well, I've just been really clear. Here I am campaigning all around Virginia, making sure that Virginians know that we're focused on the future of Virginia and the people who are running for president are running around other places. I'm focused on Virginia, and I think I've been really clear about that. Do you have to make a decision by, say, the end of November? Again, the only decision I've made is to focus on Virginia and to make sure that we hold our house and flip our Senate. We've got a track record that I think has really delivered for Virginians, and I'm eager to put it to voters. I think these elections have a big, have a big, uh, I think, well, let me finish, please. I think these elections have a a real insight into what's going to happen next year because the issues that we're voting for, I believe, are the issues that so many people are going to have in mind when they vote next year. And so I think there's going to be a lot to learn about what happens in Virginia this year. Yeah. uh, Last question for you, Governor. Uh, You know, there's a lot of the intrigue uh, among Republicans here in Washington trying Mm -hmm. to elect a Speaker of the House and trying to figure out who that may or may not be. Do, do you worry that there are any sort of downstream consequences from that as as folks in your state see what's going on with Republicans here in Washington, or, or do you think those are two separate issues? Well, I, I, I think that there, there can't help but be a little connection, but at the end of the day, uh, we're focused on state issues. And listen, we got our budget done in September. I think it was important to get done. It included another billion dollars of tax relief and funding for education and law enforcement and behavioral health. Uh, I, I'm hopeful that uh, our congressional friends will, will find a speaker this week. There's a lot of important work to do, like funding the military and making sure that, uh, the, that uh, the border is funded. Uh, but on top of that, that we've, got, we've got to reintroduce fiscal responsibility into what's happening in Washington. We do it at the state level, and I think that Washington needs to do the same. So I'm hopeful that this week we'll find a speaker. Governor Glenn Youngkin, state of Virginia, just on the other side of the river from us uh, here in D.C. Governor, thank you so much for the time and speaking to us here on the Hill. We appreciate it. Great. Thank you for having me. I'm reminding everybody, if you're in Virginia, go vote. Go to secureyourvotevirginia.com. Make a plan to vote. Awesome. Thank you, Governor. Appreciate it. And we're back in a few on the other side. All right, welcome back. Uh, before we go, around the table we go. What would you make of that uh, from Glenn Youngkin, the Virginia governor? I think he's going to get a lot of calls after the member from some of Nan's friends and Ashley's friends to, to run for president. But he's got a better chance of being speaker. This thing is over. Trump's nominee. <laughs> yes, I agree with Dan. He didn't say no, which was conspicuous. Yeah. But he's adroit at uh, parrying those answers. Uh, so, you know, it certainly can sound mm-hmm. like a no. And he's presidential timber. And I think if this election goes as well as he hopes it will, He's well, he was ready to put it. He was like willing to put his name to the to the. He's at the, the top of the list for twenty. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, next time he's got a. Uh, if he wins the Senate, there's a lot of good things that can come out of Virginia, and he can be a kingmaker. Mm-hmm. I think it's timing wise because he's only got one term, makes it difficult for him to jump in the race. And for when he's going to get on the ballot, I mean, he'd have to yeah. make a decision right at the end of November. Well, that, that's why I asked him, uh, yeah, are you willing yeah. to make a decision uh-huh. at exactly. the end of November? But I do have to say, I really love when a businessman runs a state because he's mm-hmm. actually doing well. Yeah, the billion dollars in tax relief was impressive. Exactly. And he's popular, so I think we're, you think we're, this is setting up for Newsom, Youngkin, 28? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But the difference yes. is... I'll take those. No. That, they just said yes quickly. You thought and said no. They'll both be in. Okay. I'm not sure that's going to be the final, final. draw. No. But both parties are going to have to transform themselves post-Biden and Trump. And they've got to get younger and get new leadership. And they've got four years to transform and their And maybe parties. a woman. Maybe. Well, yeah. Maybe. Youngkin represents...